So uh, good morning, everybody. All right, shake hands with somebody today and tell them I'm so glad you came today. We're going to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read beginning with verse 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, everybody say an inheritance, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guaranteed or guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last days. Praise the Lord. So here's what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. I call it the laws of possessing. And here's what I want you to get into your mind. Christianity does not automatically invest in you all of your inheritance just because you got saved. So you get saved, and then at that point, you start a journey of acquiring and possessing things. Anything that is part of your inheritance, you can possess. But if you don't know the laws of possessing what God has for you, then you're going to live a life far below what God intended for you to live. Because you don't know how to possess what belongs to you and has been bought for you by the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, you will then live a Christian life that is far below what God has planned for you or intended for you. Most Christians do not possess their inheritance. They don't know how. So we're going to share with you how to do that this morning. They don't know how to find what is theirs and then get what is theirs, possess what is theirs, and then live in it and pass it on to their children. And this is a, a real problem. So before we do that, let's take a little review. Let's go back. Life begins for everybody in the book of Exodus chapter 1 and verse 11. And that is that everyone is born into Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. So all of us, when we're born, we are not saved. We need to be saved. We're born into Egypt or this world and its system. And inside of each of you, there is an Adamic nature, a nature in you that wants to disobey laws, rebel against authority, cross boundaries, sin, do bad things, hate, get angry, rebel, defy, lie, deceive, and many, 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 many other things. Whatever you feed is going to grow in your life, and whatever you starve is going to die. So we all begin in Egypt, and everyone begins in Egypt in the same place. You are a slave of sin and under the authority of Pharaoh, who is, represents Satan. So the first thing that has to happen is you get to have to get delivered out of Egypt. And you only get delivered in two ways, Exodus 2, 23 and 24. They cried and sighed, and they began to call upon the Lord. And he heard their groaning, their crying and their sighing. And the Lord came down and delivered them out of Egypt. So the first step is when you are longing and hungry and desperate to get out of, your, out of Egypt, out of the world, and out of the taskmasters, and out of the slave masters, and out of the whips, and out of the bondages, and out of the slaveries, and all of that, then God starts coming down because he hears your cry. As long as you're happy with your slave master, then you will keep those slave masters. As long as you're happy with your addictions and with your problems, you will keep them. But when a cry rises up out of your heart, when you begin to cry to God and say, I want out of here, because you see, they were there for 430 years in that slavery until they said, we can't take this anymore. God heard them and began to move on their behalf. The other way you get out of Egypt is Exodus chapter 12, 1 through 10. This is very powerful. It says, God told them, eat the whole lamb. As they ate the whole lamb, the head of the lamb, the heart of the lamb, the legs of the lamb, and every part of the lamb representing Jesus, as you eat Jesus, you are delivered from the slavery of Egypt and its chains, its bondages, its misery, its hatred, its emptiness, its loneliness, its depression, and its lack of direction, clarity, vision, purpose, and identity. All of these things begin 
to start to come into your life when you are exiting Egypt. You go through the Red Sea, baptism, and then you come out into the second place, which is the wilderness. So the first thing is God has to get you out of Egypt and out of the power of Pharaoh, the devil, and break the power of those taskmasters, which are your inherited bad habits that come from your father and mother and your great alcoholism, uh, diabetes, different things that are curses and iniquities that are in your DNA that have to be broken at some point by the power of God, the power of the gospel, the power of the Christ, and the power of the anointing of Jesus. And this is just a review right now. And so you get there and you break out of there because you say, I'm going to eat the mind of Jesus, so I'm going to start thinking like Jesus. And when you think like Jesus, it snaps the chain. It breaks the bondage. It sets something free. Think, oh, I'm going to eat the insides of Jesus, the motives of Jesus, the desires of Jesus. That heals your identity, and who you are begins to reveal itself. And then the feet of Jesus, all the things that move you in the kingdom of God, fasting, prayer, and all soul winning, things that make you go forward with God, forward motion to attain things, to achieve things, to appropriate all of this stuff. Then you're out shot into the wilderness because you're on a journey. And at the wilderness, there, everything is provided for you. Here's where you have supernatural prosperity. Here's where your clothes don't wear out. And here's where you don't get sick. And here's where God sends you manna from heaven. You don't have to plant it. You don't have to work for it. So when people say prosperity is the ultimate, actually prosperity is the wilderness. It's not the ultimate. It's in the wilderness that God provides all this for a reason. And that reason is so you're not distracted while he does surgery on you. Over there, he got you out of Egypt. In the wilderness, he gets Egypt out of you. And this is a very powerful thing that's got to happen. We're still not where we're wanting to go today, which is the laws of possessing your inherited promised life. Praise the Lord. Everybody look at somebody and say, I have a promised life. You see, every one of you have a promised life, a life God has promised you. You're going to die, some of you, without that life because you don't know the laws of possessing. You're not going to implement them. You're not going to activate them. You don't even have a Bible. You don't even bring a Bible to church. You don't study the Bible. You don't get on your knees and seek God. You don't do the will of God. You're just verifying your ticket regularly or appeasing your wife or husband and going to church. But really, you have another life that you have fallen in love with, which are the melons, leeks, onions, and fish of Egypt. And you like the pleasures of darkness, and so you're going to stay in it while having the clothes of a Christian and the lifestyle of a lost person. Anybody hearing me so far? Turn to two or three people and say, holla, holla, what did I get into this morning? How did I get here? Dear Jesus, help me out. So... You're in the wilderness. The only way you're going to get out of there is learning your lessons. If you don't learn your lessons, you stay there and go around in circles. So many Christians are Egyptian Christians. They're full of the world and full of the devil, but they have the clothes of a Christian and claim Christianity and claim Jesus as their Savior, but they're still in bondage with chains and misery. They haven't even broken out of Egypt. And then you have the wilderness Christians where there's the ones that don't learn their lessons. They're stubborn, hard-headed. They want to keep their old ways, and they just go around in circles. And they are not disciples of God. He does not rule their will. They don't do what God wants. They do whatever they want. They keep their own opinions and decide that God doesn't know what he's talking about. And they form their own worldly worldviews and opinions based on what Hollywood or someone else says. But they still do love Jesus theoretically in theory and in mental concept. But not in a relationship. They're not under his authority. Therefore, they do not have him as their master. You only have a master if you're under the authority of that master. If you're not under that master, then he is not your master. He is not your Lord. He is not your king. And you do not get the benefits of the kingdom if you're not under the authority of the king. Praise the Lord. Your food is going to come from the world. The world is ruled by Pharaoh. Pharaoh is Satan. When you do Satan's will, he pays you. But when you eat his candy, he charges you taxes. And the taxes come from your soul. And the ultimate price he wants you to pay is your eternal soul going with him to hell. 
Praise the Lord. Look at seven people and say, holla, holla, this is a lot of stuff. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm having to think. My head is spinning. It's okay. That's what we're here for. So, Jesus bought you an inheritance. The question is, are you actually participating in that inheritance? What is your inheritance? I mean, well, let's look at some things because it's kind of interesting to, to uh, get that in our minds. Joshua 13.1, it's a very beautiful scripture, and it says this, there still remains much more land for you to occupy. So everybody say it, there's still much more for me. Tell the people around you, there's a lot more for me. I'm not done, and God's not done. All right, so when we look at what is your inheritance, because remember, how can you want something if you don't understand what it is? How can you chase a thing if you don't know what the thing is you're chasing? It's a shadow or is it a substance? Is it reality or is it an illusion? Is this real or am I just making it up? What is of God and what are you just creating in your own intellect? And what is really coming from the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit revealing to you and saying to you, this is yours, you can have this. Praise the Lord. Like uh, our sister got up this morning and she said, okay, somebody's this and you know, needs prayer. I'm going to pray for that. So she stepped into something, took something that belonged to her and said, I'm going to do this and walk in it because this belongs to me, part of the inheritance. Do you see what I'm saying? So you can either sit on your behind all your life, do nothing, go to church, watch TV, eat food and die. Or you can say, I have an inheritance from God, and I need to find out what the heck that is. Well, you do need to find that out, and you also need to find out the laws of possessing. Praise the Lord. So shake someone's hand and say, you seem so slim. <laughs> so slim. Your clothes are fitting looser than I recall from last meeting we had. So to possess a thing, is to master it, to occupy it, and to own it. That is possessing a thing. And that's what we're after. So when you look at inheritance for everybody, these are the general things that are necessary. And, for example, Christ-likeness is part of your inheritance. Praise the Lord. Power is part of your inheritance. All kinds of powers. Knowledge is part of your inheritance, all kinds of knowledge. Supernatural peace, love, and joy is part of your inheritance. All your family being saved is part of your inheritance. All your family knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, chasing Jesus, and following Jesus, that's part of your inheritance. Deeds of, and exploits for God, that's part of your inheritance. Prosperities of every kind is part of your inheritance from God. Mission is part of your inheritance from God. Purpose is part of your inheritance from God. Destiny, uh, potential, all your potential that you were born with is part of your inheritance. Inside you, there's a potential God put there, and if you don't do, operate in the laws of possessing, then that potential lies dormant, and you go to your grave without that potential ever being seen, realized, or possessed. Praise the Lord. Marrying a godly man is part of your inheritance if you're a woman. Marrying a godly woman is part of your inheritance. Having children is part of your inheritance. These are some of the things we're talking about. Wholeness is part of that. Having the gifts of God in your life, supernatural gifts, all of these are part of your inheritance. Praise the Lord. And there are many more individualized, specific blessings that only belong to you. But all the ones I mentioned belong to everybody in their specific form that is identified by God. Praise the Lord. So now, we have gotten out of the wilderness, and how do you do that? You learn your lesson. That's how you do it. It's as simple as that. Every lesson you learn places you in front of the Jordan River. And every lesson you don't learn, you take another lap. And if you don't learn your lessons after 30 or 40 years, your body parts begin to fall off. In the Bible, their bones bleached, and so body parts would fall off. What does it mean when I say body parts fall off? It means your eye falls out so you can't see God anymore. Your ears go deaf so you can't hear Him anymore. Your hands fall off so you can't grasp 
or take a hold of what belongs to you. And then your legs fall off so you can't move, go forward, follow God, or do anything. Now you're stuck, stagnant, and atrophying, and becoming poisoned because of lack of motion towards God. This that I have just described is called religion. That is what you're going to end up in, religion. Religion is when you go to church without Jesus and you leave church without Jesus. It's when you go to church and nothing bad stops and nothing good starts. Religion is when you cannot and do not and don't know why you are not convicted by the word of God and do not feel the presence of God when you sing. Religion. Praise the Lord. Religion will crucify Jesus in your heart just like it did in the Bible. Hang him right up there. Praise the Lord. Because religion wants to control your life without the Holy Spirit. It's a law's rituals, ritualistics, and ideologies that are dead and powerless and not alive. So a new religion is created. Now the religion, well, I'll show it to you in a second. So every giant in the land has to be conquered. But before you get into the land, you approach Jordan. And this is the first step of the first law of possessing. The Jordan River stands between the wilderness and the promised life. There is a river you must cross. It is called the Jordan. That river, the name of Jordan, the word Jordan means to descend into death. So you cannot start your life of possessing until you die to yourself. The first law of possessing what belongs to you is you must die to yourself your dreams, your self-will, all the things you want that are not of God, that God has not promised you, that are actually of the devil, or that come from your own imagination. You cannot even enter the promised life until you die to your own stuff. Praise the Lord. Jesus said it the best in Luke 24, not my will, but your will be done. Praise the Lord. Unless you die pick up your cross, and follow me. You cannot find your life until you lose your life. It is the first step and the first law of possessing. You have to learn to die to yourself all the time or you're simply not going to enter the inheritance God has for you because God's inheritance is not activated by selfishness. God's inheritance is activated by selflessness. Every act of selflessness activates a part of your inheritance. Every act of selfishness blinds you to what God has for you. Because selfishness is so gratifying to the flesh that it anoints you to live for you and to put you first and to deny others all the help that you could give them. And this is not Christianity. This is heathenism. And Christians are not supposed to be heathenistic. Praise God. Give someone a high five and say, Hala, hala, I just want some lasagna. Praise the Lord. So, first law right there. Now, when you start entering the promised land and you say, okay, I'm going to die to myself, and start doing the will of God, step one. You cross over. Now, the first thing that you have to understand is when you cross over, something happens. Remember that in the wilderness, God provided everything for you. The manna stops. No more free nothing. No more free food, no more welfare, no more nothing. Now, you got to do something to get something. This is the law of possessing. You must take your sword, take your training, take the thing God has put in your hand 
attack the enemy, dominate the enemy, kick the enemy out, and get rid of it. You must do that. Praise the Lord. There's no free manna in the promised life. In the promised life, you've got to do something. We'll understand that in a second. So here are some giants that are over there waiting for you. Number one giant is Goliath. Everybody knows him. His name is Intimidator. So everything that intimidates you prevents you from getting your promised life. That means there are no cowards that can inherit their promised life. If you are a coward and are afraid to talk to a stranger about Jesus, you're not going to inherit your promised life with a cowardly spirit full of fear. Our sister, I'm sure, was under a lot of pressure when she had to obey God this morning, but she got up there anyway in the face of Goliath and said, I don't care what you're telling me, I'm going to do what God told me, and I have the pastor's permission, so I'm going to do it. Bam! But the intimidation was there, because it's not like it happens every day. Especially, oh, I got a word for the pastor, you know, my God. Right? So Goliath is everywhere in your promised life. He's everywhere. And he dies the same way every time. You take his own sword and cut his head off. Praise the Lord. And then you lift his head up so all the people can see it. And it says that they will begin, the army will begin to run and shout because Goliath's head, the intimidator, has been taken off. We then see that Joshua, Joshua 10.24 chases the five kings of the giants into a cave. He then brought the five kings out. He put his foot on their neck and then he hung them so everybody could see them. There are five major kings there. Their names, I'm not going to tell you their names, but what their names mean are important. One means the taste of venom in your tongue. This is one of their names. The other one's name is twisted perspective. To see things with a twisted perspective. This is some of the giants that are in the land. Another name of a giant is master of uncleanness. Or he that manipulates dirty and unclean things into your life. Another one is called the king of terror. One that dominates you and ushers into your life every type of fear and terror and torment. And then another one is to sit and wallow in indifference. These are the names that he hung up. He hung them. So a law of possessing is when you see a giant, you must attack it, hang it, kill it, or drive it out. Joshua 3.10, I shall drive out from your midst the Canaanite, the Hivite, the Hittite, the Jebusite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, the Amalekite, and the Parasite. All of those ites are kings of the flesh, and you must cut their heads off to take the property that they are in possession of that is yours and that belongs to you. If you do not do it, then you will live your whole Christian life with no inheritance. You'll have the title of a Christian and the experiences of lost people. Your Christianity will be a title Christianity, not an experiential one. Is anybody breathing? So I'm not preaching religion to you, I'm preaching revelation to you. Revelation opens your brain and pulls the parasites out of it. Unlocks your eyes to a new life that you did not know was available. Because revelation is a piece of God's mind. So anytime you see a piece of God's mind or hear it, it heals something that is sick inside you. Because God is wholeness, anytime he speaks to you, he will speak to you something that will make you whole. Not something that will make you sick. Praise the Lord. All right, shake someone's hand and say, that's what I'm talking about. So, let's go. Number one, Deuteronomy eleven twenty four. 
Wherever the soles of your feet shall trod, that shall be yours. A law of possessing, very powerful. You must be an owner, not a renter. If your mindset is, I'm going to rent Jesus for Sunday morning, and then I'm going to live any way I want for the rest of the week, you are not going to have an inheritance from God. You cannot be a renter of Jesus. You must own him, and he must own you. This is a law of possessing. The devil knows when you're the real thing or the fake thing. Acts chapter 7, the five sons, seven sons of Sceva were trying to cast out demons, but they were not saved. They had just seen the, the apostles do it, and so they were trying to duplicate it. But the de demons looked at him and said, who are you? Paul we know, Jesus we know, but who are you? And the demons began to beat them up, ripped them up, tore their clothes off, and chased them all over town because they, did not, they were not possessors. They were renters. They were just trying to rent Jesus for the moment. So if you're going to fake being a Christian, why? Why waste your time? The devil knows you're faking. Because like, just like God knows who belongs to him, Satan knows who belongs to him. He knows which ones of you serve him. The Lord knows and the devil knows. There's no fake in God. Praise the Lord. So say, I'm going to be an owner, not a renter. Two, Galatians 6, 7, 8, and 9. Do not be deceived. Whatever you sow, you shall reap. And here's the second law of possessing, or the next law of possessing your inheritance. What you feed grows, what you starve dies. So if you're going to possess something, you've got to feed the godliness in you. You've got to feed the Holy Ghost in you. You've got to feed the kingdom of God in you in order for the kingdom of God to rise up on the inside of you and take its authority over your life. Because you are body-driven, soul-driven, or spirit-driven. Body-driven people, everything they do is based on the appetites of their body. That's how they live their lives and make their choices. Soulishly driven people are people that do everything by their emotions. They're driven by their feelings or everything from their head. They're driven by their head or everything by their will. But spiritually driven people are people that are driven by the Holy Spirit through their conscience, intuition, and communion with God. You've got to decide what you're being driven by because that is the thing you're feeding and the thing you will also eat. Feed hate and Satan becomes your pastor. Feed love and forgiveness and Jesus becomes your pastor. Can I say it any simpler than that? Praise the Lord. Give someone a high five and say, Hala, I love this stuff, really helping me. Do you want to possess your inheritance or are you just satisfied with having your ticket verified? Were you, are you really that selfish that you don't want to do what you were born to do? You don't want to know why you were born, know who you really are in God, know what plan God really had for your life, and become that amazing person that God has created that can change the world? Do you not want that? Do you only want to just say, look, leave me alone. I just want to go to heaven. Leave me alone. I don't want lordship. I don't want God telling me what to do. Living for Jesus, I don't want to do that. Leave me alone. I don't want to read my Bible. I want to hear somebody read it to me. I don't want to pray. I want somebody to pray for me and I'll listen to them. Possessing. Possessing. Next, 1 Samuel 15, 33. The prophet Samuel met the king named Saul Saul was told by God, when you conquer the, the enemy, kill them all, including the cattle and the sheep. Samuel the prophet comes by, and they're having a party. Saul is having a party. He says, what are you doing? I can hear the sheep. 
And who is this? He brings the king of the Amalekites to him called Agag. And Agag means raging violence. So he brings Agag, the king of the Amalekites, named Raging Violence, he brings him. And he says, look, I, 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 we're having fun with him. We're playing games with him. We're, we're you know, throwing him around, kicking him around. And, and we're throwing a barbecue with all the sheep. And Samuel says, I, God didn't tell you to do that. He didn't tell you to do what you think is right. He told you what to do. Kill everything. Exterminate them so they cannot infest you and infect you. Kill it all. Don't leave any of it. So Samuel gets the sword, brings the king, and in front of everybody, hews him in pieces. Because if you're going to possess something, you've got to kill the rage and anger that's inside you. Anger will destroy your life and every relationship in your life, and everything you do. You cannot let Agag survive. Anger tells you you are not in submission to God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Everybody still here? Amen. Go ahead and hug somebody next to you and say, could you spare some money? Praise the Lord. Any amount? Think about that. Matthew 5, 6. They that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be satisfied and filled. A law of possessing your inheritance is you have to be actually hungry for it. You actually have to want what God has for you. And if you don't want it, then you don't get it. It doesn't just attach itself to you because you're saved. You have to desire God's will for your life. You have to desire God's blessings for your life. You have to desire what God has for you or it's not going to happen in your life. You have to desire peace, joy and love, victory, your family being saved, your children being delivered from drugs and alcohol, sexual bondage, deceptions, and ideologies that will lead them to hell. It is not intelligent to not have insurance when you live in a hurricane and flood zone. It is not intelligent to live like an atheist in a world where you know you're going to die. And you decide there is no God and you have no evidence whatsoever and all the evidence, the overwhelming evidence of nature by itself and of a baby in the womb by itself and of the human eye, that by itself should convince everybody alive on earth that there is a God because nothing that difficult and complicated could happen from a bang. Are you crazy? It takes too much faith to be an atheist for me. But your friends are, so you are. And that's stupid. You're just a cow and a sheep without your own individual mind. Stand alone and gather the information that is all around you. Hunger. Who are you? What were you really born to do? Is your life the way you're living and is that what God had planned for you? Is that really what your Heavenly Father had planned for you? The life that you're living where you see no spiritual fruit at all? How many people have you led to Jesus and gotten them out of hell? How many people have you prayed for who are sick and they've gotten healed? How many people have you loved out of their darkness into the light? Purpose. Identity. Who are you? And is what you have what God planned? Is that really how much God loves you? To give you just what you have? 
Or is there a promised land with a promised life that you have not yet possessed? Amen. You say, well, I've been serving God for 30 or 40 years. So they walked in the wilderness for 40 years. You're still in first grade if you're in the wilderness after 40 years. That means you're very stubborn, you don't pay attention, and you won't learn anything. Because you decided that the only thing you really want is just to go to heaven. But you're going to answer to God for all your potential, all your gifts, all your calling, all your purpose. And people say, well, if I don't know it, then I don't have to answer for it. Oh, no, you're deceived. I'm sorry. That's actually a deception. You are accountable not for what you know only. You're accountable for whatever is available for you to know. Just because you choose not to learn it, well, I didn't, I didn't know it, so it was right there. You could have learned it. The information was available. Amen. So instead of saying, I can't read the Bible too much because it convicts me and it makes me feel bad and then I can't get drunk. <laughs> I'm sorry, you'll be accountable for it because it's available. Standing before God is not a joke, people. Members of the jury, not a joke. Praise the Lord. Look at someone, hug them and say, I'm getting scared right now. I'm freaking out. My hair is falling out. Praise the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not my job to tickle your ears. We're living in a tickle your ears generation where Christianity is now reduced God is love. That's what everybody's saying. God is love. So live with whoever you want. Be any kind of sexual person you want. Drink. Get drunk. Do whatever you want. Because God is love. Yes, God is love. I'm sorry. Is that all God is? No. I'm sorry. My Bible tells me God is love, but he's also holy. Well, we don't want to talk about that. God is holy. What are you talking about? Let's not talk about that. God is love. God is not holy. God is love. Oh, God is not holy? Then why don't I just murder all of you and then eat you? God is love. I'm going to heaven. I just had some filet a la Scott. It's insanity. And God is also truth. Beware of only eating the pieces of Jesus you like. You can't get out of Egypt with just one leg. Praise God. Everybody lift your hands and say, Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I always wanted to do that. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so, let's get that in our minds. 2 Timothy 2.3 I have fought the fight. I have run the race. And now I shall get the crown. You see, to get into your promised life, you couldn't come in as a slave. And you couldn't come in as a patient hooked up and having surgery. Only warriors get in to the promised life. Praise the Lord. And warriors are ready to fight. And if you think Christianity is easy and cheap and you're going to get your inheritance by not fighting for it, you are mistaken, brothers and sisters. It is a fight to get what belongs to you. It's already purchased and bought. It is there. But to withdraw it from the bank, that is going to take a fight because around that bank are a lot of giants and a lot of demons and a lot of mean people and a lot of unholy people and unholy ideas and a lot of ideologies that are wicked and ungodly. And you're going to have to take your sword and fight your way right through that in order to get the stuff that belongs to you. And if you don't think this is true, I don't know what to tell you. This is my 50th year of doing this. I'm just telling you what I have found out. Praise the Lord. So, Numbers 11.5, it says they longed and yearned for the leeks and onions of Egypt. A law of possessing is you can't admire who you were 
before you were a Christian. If you're going to get in, you can't say, man, you know, when I was in college, we got high every day, sleeping around with everybody, doing this and that. If you admire the leeks and onions and melons and the flesh pots of Egypt, if you admire the pleasures of sin, then you will never be a possessor of the life that God intended for you to live. You have got to curse your past. Draw wisdom from it and use it as a weapon to go forward. You see, there are a lot of Christians who would rather be sinners than Christians. They admire who they were and what they felt because the Christianity they're living does not have any of this possession in it because they're living in shallow water. The shallow waters freeze first. If you're going to possess... Luke chapter 5, 1 through 5. Launch out into the deep. This is a law of possessing. You cannot be a shallow Christian. You must be one that launches out into the deep. The word deep in the Greek, that word, if you look it up, it means mysteries. Launch out into the mysteries of God. As you do that, you will discover who you truly are and what your blessings truly are. Praise the Lord. Let's all take a praise break right now. Just lift your hands and start praising God out loud. Say, thank you, Jesus, that I'm headed for a life that's full of promise and a life that's full of blessing and a life that's full of goodness. Psalm 119.34, Give me understanding and a teachable heart and the ability to learn that I may keep your law and observe it with all, my, with all my heart. Oh, this is interesting. You cannot possess what you don't understand. So if you're going to possess a life that God planned for you, and you're going to try to do it without reading your Bible, seeking God, becoming His disciple, becoming a Bible scholar, learning everything there is to learn about God and the kingdom, if you're going to try to do it without God's knowledge, you're just going to fail. So if you have, you have to get understanding of a thing before you can possess it. If you have a high-tech computer and they place it in your bedroom, you have the knowledge of the universe sitting on a desk in your bedroom. But because you don't know how to open it and you don't know how to operate it, none of that is accessible to you because you have no understanding. A person comes who does, they teach you how to use all the power of that, and then you're able to do things very few people can do because you have understanding. Now you can possess what that thing is. This is a law of possessing. Praise the Lord. Turn to someone next to you right now and say, you're so amazing. For which of you, when he wants to build a watchtower for his guards, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to finish it. Praise the Lord. Here's the law. Nothing that is eternal, of eternal value, is cheap. There is a price that you cannot pay which Jesus paid. But there is a price you must pay to possess what Jesus already bought for you. Now listen to my words. Everything you will ever need is already yours. Positionally, all you ever need has been given to you by God. It's there. It's bought. But listen to my words. Until you take your position and make it your possession, you cannot enjoy its benefits. And how do you do that? Obedience. When God tells you what to do, do it. And the position will become the experience. Instead of saying, oh, I have all the love of God I'll ever need. I have all the faith of God I'll ever need. Well, really? How come you hate me? You say you have all the love of God, but you hate me. 
So you're not actually possessing what you have. And this is the secret of possessing the life God intended for you, is that you have to obey what God tells you. All those blessings in Deuteronomy 28, they're conditional on obedience. You can't just have it all. You have to obey what God tells you. Every blessing normally has an if. Unless you want to be part of the progressive church. The progressive church has no conditions. Everything is yours, whether you experience it or not. And the only thing that a progressive church person will experience is forgiveness for all the bad things they're going to do. Praise the Lord. Or God is great. My Bible does not paint God as great. Praise the Lord. How many of you want what God has for you? How many of you long for what God has for you? How many of you believe your life can get better? How many of you trust God that his plan is better than your plan? How many of you trust God that he's smarter than you are? How many of you really believe that the Lord is good and full of goodness and there's no iniquity in him? How many of you believe that your father, it is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom? I'm asking a question. How many of you say it is my father's good pleasure to give me the kingdom? You see, if you're indifferent, casual, or a distant observer, none of this will mean anything to you. And you will say, just leave me alone. But if you are ready, then God is ready to give to you the things that belong to you. Look at somebody and say, war is the path of possession. 2 Timothy 4, 7, war is the path of possession. There is a giant standing in front of your marriage. And that giant will not leave on its own. There is a giant standing in front of your health. And that giant will not leave on its own. War is the path of possession. You're going to have to get on your knees and drive the devils out of the area that you know belongs to you. Maybe you have children that don't love God or serve Him. It is your knees where you do war. And you say to your children, I just want you to know I'm on my knees and I'm going to fight until the light consumes you. Then kneel next to their bed and pray in the Holy Ghost. And let them hear you for an hour or two, day after day after day after day. Let them hear you calling on the name of Jesus for them, day after day after day. And then as they grow up, let's see how many of their friends have that experience, that they can say, oh, my mother, she kneeled at my bed for two or three hours every night. Every night, at least an hour, sometimes, but every night, my dad, he would kneel next to me and lay hands on me and pray for me. I only lasted as an unbeliever or as a, a this or a that or whatever for this long because the, the heaven overwhelmed me. And glory came in and filled my soul. Or you could just let them be discipled by technology. Babysit your children with technology and you will hand their brain to Satan. You better spend time with your children in things that truly can make them whole. I'm almost done. Turn to somebody and say, no. <laughs> Go ahead. Turn to somebody. I'm almost done. Turn to somebody and say, no. I'm not so selfish that I want to leave at 1137, which is our regular time. I'm getting antsy. The barbecue is calling. My God. Cinnabon is on the way. Ephesians 1.14, who is the guarantee, listen, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we, listen, until we acquire 
possession of it. Will you die with all your blessings laying on the ground? There are philosophies in church, in the body of Christ. There is the do nothing, God has done everything philosophy. I promise you, it is not true. Then there is the Jesus has done it all, and you must obey what he tells you to do. And that is the truth. Amen. He leads us by the Holy Spirit. They that are led by the Holy Spirit are the children of God. My children hear my voice. And the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Now let me say this. If a preacher comes here and preaches anything different than Pastor Scott preaches, believe Pastor Scott and not the preacher. And that includes me. But understand what I'm telling you. That the Holy Spirit is going to put you in a place and he's going to tell you things to do in order to activate things you have. Praise the Lord. He won't say to you, oh, pray silently for your wife. He'll say to you as a husband, no, lay hands on her. She wants you to lay hands on her. She just hasn't asked for it because she's hurt. Lay hands on her. Now pray for her and do it every day and mean it. Well, you'll see everything blossom because of that. Praise God. Wrap your arms around somebody and say this. Can I squeeze $70 out of you? Praise God. <laughs> Tell everybody around you, I love this. So, Joshua 14, 12. Joshua was 84 years old. He had been fighting in the, in the promised life for 40 years. He had his eye on a mountain called Hebron, and the word Hebron means a place of sweet communion. He had his eye on that. At 84, his strength was still as much as it was when he was 30. So he says to Joshua, my strength is the same as it was when I was 30, to go in and out to battle. My mountain Hebron is mine. You promised it to me at the beginning. I want it now. And he went and killed all the giants that had it and took possession of it. And he had no sons. He had a bunch of daughters. And back then, women, the women couldn't inherit anything. But because of Caleb and his spirit, he says, I'm going to give my inheritance to my daughters. And everybody agreed. And so the daughters inherited everything that Joshua, I mean that Caleb, had taken because he said, that is a possession, and it belongs to me, and I claim it. Start claiming what you know belongs to your family. Start claiming what you know belongs to your body. Start claiming what you know belongs to your children. Start claiming what you know belongs to your pocketbook. Start claiming what you know belongs to your job and your business and your work and your calling. Start claiming what you know belongs to your family and say, I'm not sitting back anymore, lazy, just watching TV and letting years go by without ever praying for anybody or doing battle for anybody or claiming my mountain that God promised me, he said to me, everybody related to you by blood shall be saved. And you've got to claim that. It's just not going to happen. Yes. Claim it. Claim it, everybody. Come on. Lift your voice right now and say, I claim everything that belongs to me by inheritance. Everything Jesus died on Calvary to give me. I claim all of it for me, God. In the name of Jesus. Remember that to enter something new, you must sometimes let go of an old wineskin. An old wineskin is an idea you cherish, 
that the Holy Spirit reveals to you and says you're actually wrong about that. Don't cherish that anymore because your thinking on that is wrong. And you must let it go. And if you cannot let go of your old wineskin, which God through revelation reveals to you is not valid, you cannot enter into the new things that God has prepared for 2022. Look at somebody next to you and say, Hala, hala. We're, we're building a hospital for malnourished babies. It's over 500,000. Vocational school. At least that. All of that. Praise the Lord. So I said, Lord, thank you for all the beautiful people that have given to our ministry, millions and millions of dollars and all that. But I said, Lord, I really, I believe somebody wants to give me a million dollars. So I can, not a penny of that will be mine. We'll use it all for them, all of it, all, one million dollars. So I'm driving to church this last Sunday. My daughter called and she said, Papa, somebody just gave us a million dollars. But at some point, I had to say, I believe you, you want to give me a million dollars so I can rescue orphans and widows and take care of the poor. So now I get to build a hospital, have money to take care of all those widows and take care of all those babies, baby after baby dying of malnutrition. Glory to Jesus. Turn to somebody and say, that's your inheritance. It's my inheritance, so I'm claiming what's mine. And then God told me, before I even got to the church, this was on the way to the church, on the way to church, he said, why don't you ask me for something bigger? I said, you're freaking me out! <laughs> but I heard him say it. Ask me. I said, Lord, you're freaking me out. <laughs> now, some of you greedy people would ask for, you know, give me a billion dollars. But... But I don't work that way with the Lord. It has to mean something to me before I believe God hears it. It has to be sincere and not from a selfish thing or something. You know, God doesn't answer any of that. And so, turn to somebody and say, I know there's things. Tell them, I know there are things that I don't have yet that belong to me. And I'm going to get those things. Praise God. I'll end with this, everybody. And th this, is, this is an important and powerful thing. Of all the things that I've been sharing, everything at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19, I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life that you and your children may live forever in the blessing of the Lord. Ultimately, everything I shared with you today from a heart of wanting to help you and save you a lot of trouble is your choice. You have been given free will. You can choose God or reject God. You can love him or you can hate him. You can believe in him or you can ignore him. The choice is yours. Everything good that's going to happen is going to require a choice. If you're satisfied and content, nothing I said will change the way you live. But if you are a promised life person, then you know, unless you're already doing it all, that there are adjustments that must be made. Praise the Lord. Close your eyes, everybody. Think about the word that the Lord spoke to you this morning. And as you think, may I say to you, this is Generations Church. Generation Church will become a garden. It will become a place where seeds can be planted 
And those seeds are the lives of people. Some of the seeds that will be planted will be tiny little seeds, children. Some of those seeds will be partially grown. And some of those seeds will be big trees. But God will plant them here in this garden. Here in this garden called Generations Church, every generation of person shall have a chance to find their true inheritance. No more looking back, no more complacency or indifference, just a strong desire to honor God by our life and to not leave anything laying on the ground on the day He takes us to heaven. To know we have done everything we could to follow the Lord with all our heart and